Hello, and welcome to today's event, the second in our series of webcasts on the 10 laws of government sales and marketing. Are you speaking the language of government? This is Joe Morris, Vice President of Research at eRepublic. I'm excited to serve as the host for today's event and just want to say thank you for joining us. I know we're in for an informative session over the next 45 minutes. I'm joined by Dr. Keisha Ray, our Executive Director for the Center for Digital Education, and Dustin Heisler, our Chief Innovation Officer. Dr. Keisha Ray is nationally renowned as an educator and expert in the field of education technology. She began her career as a middle school science teacher where she taught in one of the first 21st century classrooms in the state of Georgia and Tennessee. Her career includes designing technology within the Frist Center for Visual Arts and directing technology research through Vanderbilt University's School of Medicine Science and Outreach Program. She's recognized by the National Association of Professional Women as the Woman of the Year in 2010 for her work uh, she led transforming the Metropolitan Nashville Public Schools Federal Program uh, Department. She was a recipient of the President's Volunteer Service Award in 2012, 2014, and 2016. And in 2012, uh, we named uh, the Learning Technology Department at Metropolitan National Public Schools as one of the top 30 innovators in education. She's also been awarded the ISTE Lifetime Achievement Making IT Happen Award in 2013 and in 2014. Dr. Ray was named a 22 Watch honoree by the National School Board Association. And prior for, to joining eRepublic, she again worked for the National Metropolitan Nashville Public Schools overseeing the design, implementation, and evaluation of instructional technology programs, including instructional design for online and blend, blended learning environments and library services. Also, like I said, Dustin Heisler, our Chief Innovation Officer. Um, prior to that, he was served as the Finance Director and later the CIO for Manor, Texas, a small city outside of Austin. He quickly built a track record and a reputation as an innovator in the civic tech and GovTech movements. He's a member of Code for America's original steering committee. He pioneered the government's use of commercial technologies, um, not um, used before in the public sector, including QR codes, crowdsourcing, and gamification. As its CIO, Chief Innovation Officer, he played a strategic role in helping shape the company's products, services, and future direction here at eRepublic. And he primarily leads our eRepublic Labs, a market connector created as an ecosystem to educate, accelerate, and ultimately scale technology innovation within the public sector. So I'm ecstatic to have both of these individuals here to share both their industry experience as well as their public sector experience. Before we begin, let's talk a little bit about why we're here. Uh, E-Republic um, launched roughly 30 years ago to help state and local government um, and industry navigate the evolving tech landscape and the public sector landscape. We do that every year by working with over 700 companies, companies that are just starting up in this space to uh, Fortune you know, 500 companies that look for us to power their state and local and education sales and marketing. And we do that through research, we do that through events, we do that through content and editorial, so today we're gonna to draw on that experience and share with you some of our best practices, some of the things that we've learned over that tenure. And we've kind of pulled all of that content into our 10 laws of government and sales and marketing. Now, what this is, like I mentioned, is our deep practical insight in terms of what we as an organization have found what really works when selling and marketing to the public sector. We've pulled that 30 years of expertise and distilled that down into 10 powerful laws. Several weeks ago, we covered our first law, um, and that first law being that governments do business with companies they know and trust. Today, we're here to talk about our second law, but if you're interested in getting access to the full ebook, you can check out the URL here at 
um, blog.erepublic.com slash 10 laws right there down below. And you've got it as a resource on um, the webinar here for you as well. So let's jump right in. Obviously today we're gonna to be cracking the code um, or continuing to crack the code of this $3 trillion market that employs over 19 million employees. So a tremendous amount of spend here. On any given year, you can have 24 to 26 states rank in the Fortune 100 if you put them their budgets up against some of the largest companies in the country. So a tremendous amount of money here, and we wanna kind of share some insight with you on how um, to capture more than your fair share. And we're gonna start by doing that by looking at our second law. And that's that public sector buyers expect you to know their unique challenges, speak their language, and be relevant. In the lead up to this webinar, we asked you all, all the individuals that registered for the webinar, around some questions related to the content. And I wanna start by looking at some of those results. We asked you around uh, your relationship between sales and marketing and how well you thought your organizations are talking the language of your customer. 55% of those that registered for this webinar feel that their sales and marketing teams are not really speaking the same language as their customer. So Dustin, I'm gonna kick it off to you. What's your takeaway from this? Yeah, Joe, I think, you know, when you think about these results, it comes down to how people define the customer. And as we know, you know, companies have a traditional champion that is there that they engage with and that they may target from a marketing standpoint. But as we've seen with any type of sales process, there's a lot of other people that are involved in this process. And so I think part of the disconnect is understanding that your customer is much wider than just your target individual. There's a lot of people involved in the process, and that has to be something that's clearly our articulated and communicated between marketing and sales so that everybody is on the same page and synced up on that. Great. And Keisha, I'm going to have you sound up on the, on the next question here, which is that roughly the same percentage, half, uh, felt that their company is only kind of moderately effective at positioning their offerings in the right context for the public sector. I, uh, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of companies, especially in the education market, feel that their position is well known to the market, but there's a lot of turnover in our field. A lot of people move from, especially if you're talking about the top tier cabinet level, those, those positions will tend to transition every three to five years. So people may not be familiar with your product and they may not be familiar with you know, what you do and how you do it. And so uh, there's always kind of a retraining, relearning of what your products and services are to the customer that you're serving. Now, I'm sure that your inboxes, Keisha and Dustin, look a lot like mine, just like the, the average CIO or public sector leader. Uh, a lot of the vendors use similar pitches, regardless of if they're speaking to a, a government client, if they're speaking to an education client, K through 12, higher ed. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, I guess it's fairly, fairly generic and um, can ultimately undermine your chance at success, but also your credibility in the market because each of those verticals and roles, Keisha, like you mentioned, have specific requirements and needs. So that's what we're gonna dive into today is how you can better understand those unique needs of your buyer. But before we begin, we want to kick this off with a little interaction from you. Before you go to meet with your public sector prospect, what types of research do you do? Do you have a sales intelligence tool that helps you kind of understand the priorities, what they're planning to buy, you know, all, all of the, the information that you want to know before you go? Do you review the government website or education website? You look into their budget, their IT plans. Do you look at their social media feeds if they have them or check any recent news? So we'll give you a second to click the, all of those that apply 
and uh, we'll take a look at the results. And I think this will be quite interesting to see kind of where individuals on this call are spending their time prior to meeting with their public sector prospect. So let's take a look at those results. So you can see a mix here. Uh, you've got a strong percentage of respondents, almost 88% that are reviewing the um, public sector's website. You've got over half that are reviewing an IT plan or strategy, 70% um, reviewing recent news, um, about a third have, do you have a sales intelligence tool and about half, close to half, are either reviewing social media or analyzing the budget. So I guess the good news here, uh, Keisha and Dustin, is people are doing homework. Um, anything that stands out um, for you all? Yeah, I think the, you know, the reviewing of recent news is a key thing that sometimes is missed. So it's great to see that 68% of the respondents on this webinar are doing that. So much intelligence comes through the local media. You can see hot button issues. You can see what governing bodies care about. You can also see failures that you may want to be conscious of as you go in that uh, you want to avoid replicating. So, so that's a great, uh, great thing to see. Good split here. It is. And you know, just on the review of websites, since so many people do that, especially in education, K-12, um, websites may not be updated as regularly. So mm -hmm. I would triangulate uh, looking at a website and then looking at IT plans, trying to find some other data sources. Uh, and not just depend on the review of the website. The, the research for me would, would encourage you all to be checking meet it, meeting and agenda minutes as well um, as a strong source for opportunities. So in the, the 10 laws, we had, a, we had a phenomenal quote from Dugan Petty, who's our, one of our senior fellows, but also the former CIO of the state of Oregon. And he said, when I was a CIO, I wanted people to understand what I was doing and he wanted them to understand what his strategy was. So that's the, the lens that we're gonna look at it today. And, and I think to fully grasp, uh, whether that's a government agency's um, environment or an education entity's environment, we suggest that you look at that through three lenses. We call them foundational elements, internal variables, and external variables. So let's pause a minute here just, just to define these. When we look at foundational elements, these are principles that are unlikely to change, such as purchasing or procurement rules, budget cycles, or an agency's functional mission or organizational structure. Then you move to internal variables. So these are things that shape an agency's strategic direction and can include elected or appointed leadership priorities, strategic plans, roadmaps, budgets, things that may change every year to, to two years depending on the cycle, but also things like their existing technology install. What do they have installed that they've already bought into? Um, as well as council and, um, and uh, priorities. And then finally, you've got our external variables. These are outside influences that have influence, such as industry macro trends, media coverage, so that high media percentage is a great thing that we saw in the poll, but also looking at industry best practices and other elements that may change over time. So today we're going to spend a little bit of time unpacking each of these variables, and Keisha and Dustin are going to share with you some insight um, into each three um, for both government and education. So Dustin, we're gonna start with foundational elements, right? We talked about org structure, we talked about purchasing process. You wanna share some insight into uh, how to, the, those on the phone should be approaching that first uh, element? Yeah, definitely, the foundational elements are some of the most critical elements to know going in because those are things that don't change. Those are things that are set in stone and you can't really influence a prospect into modifying those. So as you see on the screen, you've got organizational structures. They provide a ton of value around the lay of the land, the landscape that exists, and as well as jurisdiction. I mean, I had one vendor one time that came to me and they had the greatest solution to help 
with my uh, electric utility. The only problem is my city didn't provide electricity. So it was a complete mismatch and a waste of time for both of us. So understanding the org chart isn't just about understanding the players, but also understanding the roles and responsibilities and what these jurisdictions do. The procurement side of thing and the purchasing side of things is also critical because these rules are set in stone and you can see not just the rules around things like discretionary spend and what has to go to formal bid, but also uncovering the contract vehicles that are already in place for these jurisdictions. You know, oftentimes when someone gets to a position where they now want to acquire your solution or service, you know, you don't want to be at a stage where you're trying to go chase down an integrator to do that. You want to have these relationships in advance up front and you want to know what vehicles are out there. You want to understand how agencies procure that today. And the key here is not to ask the government agency or the education institution, what vehicles do you use? This is where, you know, a simple search and simple look at some of the purchasing rules and the, even the purchasing department on the website will provide very clear information about that so that you know that going in. You can also glean a ton of information around the fiscal year. You know, as you start to align your sales and marketing campaigns for approaching agencies, you want to make sure that you're aligned to how they actually buy technology, understand the fiscal year, and what the cycles are associated with that, what the budget is, you know, how they have actually spent, you know, large capital expenditures on certain projects, what's already been done. So these foundational elements are, are so important knowing in advance as you go into these entities. And the great thing about government and education is it's the most transparent industry in the world. So you can find all of this information online and through a variety of other channels like GovTech Navigator. You just have to do your homework. The, the next element here, obviously, is the, the internal variables, right? Those goals, the priorities, the strategic direction, like I mentioned. Keisha, coming from, from your perspective, you know, how often did, did these internal variables, the superintendent's goals or priorities, dictate your, you know, the vision and obviously the execution of what uh, you ended up working on? Well, I mean, it, 100%. Everything that is happening in K-12 and in higher education is related to that superintendent or president's plan that's approved by their boards. And that's actually how those uh, person are are uh, held accountable to their jobs. So everything they do is related back to that vision and mission and strategic plan that's been approved by their boards. Uh, the, the other important piece is the relationship that the state has with either the higher ed institution or the K-12 institution, as well as the local uh, agencies. So in my experience with Nashville, uh, we had the mayor heavily involved, and we were actually considered part of the government, and all of our purchasing had to go through city government, and that's unique. That's very different, but a lot of large districts fall into that kind of relationship with their cities, and understanding those kind of connections uh, influences the strategy, the vision, and the procurement. Dustin, much like the, the foundational elements, many of these internal uh, variables are also publicly available, like, like you mentioned. Um, whether that's you know the leadership priorities, whether that's the larger strategic plan, the IT plan, the roadmap, um, are, are all available. But you, we also talked about, at least uh, in the ebook, around existing technology install. Kind of what commitments have they already made? Um, that too is available, but can you talk to a little bit more about some of these internal 
uh, variables and, and how they've dictated kind of your agenda or what you see from the industry perspective as well? Yeah, absolutely. So building on the rules, you know, you then want to know what's already in motion. You want to know what the environment looks like built on top of that foundation. So I see those internal elements as kind of that initial building where you're trying to understand, you know, existing capital outlays for technology and services. And, you know, that you can find online through government contracting web pages. We've got a couple other resources that you'll see in the resource section that you can look for. But look for, you know, existing awarded contracts. Understand who they're working with, what the landscape looks like today from, you know, a technology standpoint. Oftentimes, technology roadmaps that are strategically put out, like if an IT department does a, an annual plan or a five-year plan, you'll get a lot of intelligence into the strategic direction as well as the existing environment for that organization. So you want to ensure that you look at that and that you understand and kind of get in the mindset of the prospect that you're talking to so you know what they have on their roadmap, so you know what they have planned going forward. And that's where you start to look for opportunities to align yourself to help them accomplish those objectives. Oftentimes, I'd get people that would come in and say, I've got the greatest thing to help you solve, you know, your ERP system. And I'm like, that's great. I don't have ERP on my roadmap for the next three years. So let's talk about what you can do to solve my challenges of today. So I think those are really important things to glean from these internal elements, look for where they're at and where they can go. And, you know, oftentimes that's helpful data when you get into conversations with these decision makers, you want to ask clarifying questions, not just, you know, tell me about your landscape. And so I know we'll get into some of that as we go forward, but this is another aspect of just understanding the makeup of the organization so that you can build your point of view around that. Perfect. Personally, I view the, the, these first two, the foundational elements and the internal uh, variables you know, as, as the easy part, right? These are the part for the most part in most places you can grasp by going onto the websites and, and looking at the meeting and agenda minutes and, and pulling that together to add value to, to your prospect. The, the third element though, these external variables. Now, sometimes this can be, a, can, can be a little tougher to, to wrap your arms around, right? You, you, you have the news, like we talked about, we see the, our audience you know, heavily paying attention to the, the local um, media coverage, but there's some other elements here. Industry best practices, you've got thought leadership, of course. You've got things like you know, the, the, the magic quadrants of, of the world. How difficult is it, Dustin, to, to wrap your arms around these external variables, and, and where should people be placing their attention? That's a great question. And I think this is the most important layer to focus on when it comes to making sense of the bigger picture for government. You can go and find the foundational elements. You can look at roadmaps and understand direction. The hard part is being able to take what's happening in the market and to craft that with your point of view around your product and solution and fit that into the other two. And that's where this layer comes. And your government buyers want you to help them make sense of the bigger picture. They want you to help them understand the macro trends. They want you to help them understand the landscape and what's happening. If there's been recent media coverage, how do they tackle that? They want to know what other agencies are doing. I mean, the great thing about working in GovTech is you get to touch a lot of agencies. And so you can help them understand, you know, based on their unique set of challenges, what other people are doing to tackle it, how you help someone of similar size or a similar capacity agency tackle that unique challenge and they had the same unique set of infrastructure requirements. And then the standards piece, this is also where you come in, helping government understand how they need to architect and build these things. And this isn't something that just happens as a part of the formal procurement process. 
you know, when it comes to speaking the language of government, this is something that you have to do throughout the entire sales process and marketing process. You have to be able to combine these three layers into a unified message that goes to market so that if you have a salesperson that's meeting with a government prospect, they're speaking the language of that prospect and they're being able to combine, combine these external elements with the foundational things in a very concise format. Keisha, you and I were talking on, the, uh, on our pre-call this morning about the role of thought leadership in particular and the, and the role that you see that playing in the education community. Want to expand on that for the audience? Sure. I mean, when I was in my role, Joe, I, one of the most significant um, partnerships I could have was with my industry uh, contacts who could come in and help me think through really complicated uh, challenges that I was having to deal with. And it's it, you can't talk to your peers about it. You're not going to talk to your subordinates about it. You need to have somebody to talk with. And my uh, industry partners had seen this challenge across the country. They'd seen it certainly across their territory region. And I could sit down with them and kind of brainstorm and think through what I was trying to, to get to work through with their expertise and help. And you know the other kind of facet of that is they they might have had solutions that had applied to like an emergency management solution, but when I had an instance of security breach in my on physical plant, then I needed their knowledge to help me solve my problem, even though their knowledge is coming from a different sector, they're bringing it to me so I can apply it to what my problem is. It was incredibly helpful. So it sounds like having someone that can help you see around that corner um, that that's taken the time to know, you know, that, like we talked about, know your strategy, understand where they fit in or, may, or maybe even sometimes where they, where they don't, but it's still willing to be that trusted advisor uh, is what both of you um, were after when you're in the public sector. So let's talk a little bit about how you can take these three, the, these three elements and, and put them into action. Um, we, now, every agency, every department that you interact with is, is unique, so it's important to look at each of them through th these three lenses, but we want to give you some, some practical ways that you can approach any jurisdiction uh, across the country um, and uncover uh, these uh, information elements and dig deeper into their respective strategies. So Dustin, you want to share some of your tips for success? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, everything that's on the screen, uh, many of you are doing it based on the poll question, which is great. Uh, you know, going deeper and understanding the historical purchasing process for agencies that have procured, you know, technology or services that are similar to yours are, are really helpful as well. You know, getting into helping make sense of that industry piece is also going to be important. So, you know, finding ways to to look at how other agencies of similar size have solved, you know, those problems in the past will be important here. The macro trends, you know, the media side of things is also important. But, you know, I think focusing on doing these things on the screen at a bare minimum are, are a great starting point. Keisha, from, from your perspective, what was your expectation from, from someone that was fortunate enough to get a meeting with you 
um, what was your expectation of them in terms of um, you know, the set that we talked about in the poll in terms of that they'd done their research? Right. Well, I'm keeping in mind that I was really looking for that thought partner. I really didn't want anyone to come in and pitch me something. I wanted them to come in having already kind of talked through that with maybe my subordinates and saying, you know, I understand you've got these four systems. What my solution can do is this, and here's how it will save you money, and here's how it will uh, provide you more security, and here's how it will. And they would solve 10 problems I didn't even know I had in that conversation, not really talking about what they were, what their product or service was, but talking about how they could help me resolve a challenge that I didn't even know I was aware of or I had. Um, they also had done a lot of work looking, my most valued partnerships were with people who had done a lot of work looking at my strategic plan because we had it you know, available and transparent in my budgets and they knew who did what, when, where, and why. And they could come in and basically give me a roadmap that I could follow. I really appreciated that. Yeah, to uh, to echo Keisha there, you know, I agree with the pitch side of things. You know, it's very easy to have a great idea and to want to come in and talk to a CIO or a C-level government or education decision maker and, you know, pitch them on your idea. That's great. But I often like meetings to be purposeful and to really have an agenda as to how we're going to accomplish, you know, how you're going to solve my problem. And so I think, you know, if you've got ideas, make sure that they're still rooted in solving something tangible for agencies because they get hit with hundreds of emails a day on a variety of different solutions and technologies that will revolutionize everything that they do. And they're great. I mean, you know, it, those are important. The difficulty is how to sift through them. So, you know, use use the relationship side of things and email as an opportunity to be a resource to continue to build that relationship. And anytime you meet with someone, use it as an opportunity to help take all those layers and combine it into a cohesive way for the CIO or the decision maker to make sense of what's going on and how you can do it together. And I think Keisha hit the nail on the head. You know, it's all about partnership and coming at it through that. And it was very evident as a CIO to know you know, vendors that I met with that hadn't done their homework and, you know, didn't really understand unique set of challenges that my organization had, or even, you know, how our budgeting process worked. And so, you know, having those things in line in advance and having someone that's building relationship over time, even if they do it virtually to start, and, you know, making sure that every interaction with your prospect is valuable for that prospect and for you is key. So I would focus on ensuring whether it's marketing or the sales process that you create mutually beneficial points of interaction so that you're both getting value out of these touch points and they'll continue and they'll grow and you'll start to get into a position where you can partner on bigger uh, projects and initiatives. And then they'll start to come back to you as a resource because you've gotten their trust. Yeah. And I, just something to add there. I think that sometimes going in and, and doing the, the homework and, and looking at these things, you know, frankly, it's, it's not the most fun thing. It does require time. Um, you got to dig through in some cases, uh, you know, a lot of documents, but it's exactly that effort when you uncover something that's going to set you apart from your competition because most are rather, are, they're going to send out the same generic email that they've been sending. They're going to go with the, the quickest path to push something out so that the individuals that, that take the time to do this, the stuff that Dustin's outlining and the stuff that Keisha's commenting on, um, are the ones that you're going to more likely to get that meeting. You're more likely to have that meeting be valuable and you're more likely to see, be seen as someone who is bringing value, not necessarily just pitching a product. Continuing on with those those tips, um, Dustin, we, we're obviously on the event front. Obviously, the connection 
with the decision maker is extremely valuable. But even prior to that, what are some things that the audience should be thinking with? Yeah, I think being present is really key. We'll get into that in future webinars in more detail, but being a part of the conversation in advance of any type of procurement opportunity is important. And I often hear, you know, companies will come to me and they say, I can't generate ROI on events. I can't justify doing an event. Being present is so vital because you're building relationship. You're actually a part of the conversation that's taking place. And I think that's key when it comes to how you execute on an event strategy. You shouldn't sit just behind a tabletop to build awareness. You should be actively participating and be part of the conversation and also bring content to the table that's helpful for these agencies so that they can help understand what you do and the unique take that you have on the landscape. Another tip here is if you can't be present at all the events, look at what is going on. Look at the events that are taking place in markets that you're interested in. And agendas are hidden intelligence tools that are right in plain sight. And what I mean by that, you know, we do 150 events across the country every year. When you construct an event, you have an advisory board made up of key decision makers and industry partners that will craft an agenda that is contextual to the areas that these events are being held in. So the content is actually specifically honed in on what people are interested in, the challenges of that market, the unique opportunities to kind of unpack that and expand that. So these are great intelligence tools to understand as you start to plan maybe an event strategy or as you start to plan new regional you know, growth areas, look at these to understand what the market is talking about today, what is important to them, what has been on agendas, who has been talking about it, who's leading the conversation. And that is valuable intel as you start to craft and build a strategy here. So you know, for those of you that are starting to look at breaking into these new areas, look at events as kind of a you know, a hidden intelligence tool that you can use to start gathering that. And then it's important to execute on that and to start to be present in the conversations and to build relationships in person with these individuals. I can't stress that enough. Government is a relational business. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's old school. That just means that government, you know, has really complex challenges. They need to know that people that they're working with are people that they can trust. And so being there and, you know, being present is so important here. Keisha, can maybe you expand a little bit on that? The aspect of the of the second law, obviously, is is deeper than just knowing the challenges and 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 doing your homework. That it's really about being relevant. Um, so, how important in terms of achieving relevancy was being seen, whether it's at the event, whether it's at the you know the the meeting, the board you know commission. How important is that? Well, uh, you know, something that is a little bit interesting about my past is I was a member of the Center for Digital education prior to being the executive director of it. And I participated in events for years and it gave me a chance to meet a lot of industry partners and develop really deep relationships with them. And no matter what district I moved to or what position I changed to, I would reach out to, they would be my constant. They would be my constant group of people that I would plug into to kind of get a feel for what my new role was or what my new challenge was. Um, I think with regard to kind of being present, like uh, Dustin was talking to, you want to make sure that the things that you're bringing to the table are not only relevant, but also kind of current. And what I mean by that is you can have some really great material or or, or great uh, presentation that seems to be relevant, but if something happens, especially in education, and let's take, for example, 
the shootings that have happened. You might have a presentation ready that's not related to anything around school safety at all, but everybody's going to be talking at that event around school safety. So somehow you've got to kind of be part of that conversation. You can lead them back to what you originally want to talk about, but you've got to connect on a very personal level uh, with the people in the room. And um, and when I work with uh, our clients who do that, they uh, they develop really great relationships with our public sector partners, and uh, I see a lot of great benefits from that. Great. Well, we're, we're going to shift gears here a little bit, and we're going to have Dustin spend a little bit of time kind of drawing on, on his experience to give you some ideas about what not to do and, and why. And uh, then Keisha is going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the best practices. And, and recently I was at an event they had a session. It was a CIO event, and the session was called What Keeps You Up at Night? And, and I think that uh, that's where we're going to start in terms of the one of the questions that you should not ask. So, Dustin, why should people not ask this question? Because this is the, the most obvious way that you haven't done your homework when you talk to a prospect in government. You know, this is a question I was asked a lot. I still actually get asked this now on the private sector side, but you know, what keeps you up at night is a, is a loaded question that just, you know, can go a lot of different directions, but don't ask this. What you should ask instead are clarifying questions after you've done your research on your prospects. So as you've analyzed, you know, roadmap and all of those different principles that we talked about, it's okay to ask clarifying questions. That's actually encouraged. You want to make sure that you hone in on the needs of, you know, your prospect but don't ask questions that are general and you know, are obviously you know, questions where you haven't done your research going into it. And this is one of those common ones that you don't get. So it's okay to ask clarifying questions after you do your research, but don't ask general questions like what keeps you up at night. On the uh, next question not to ask, you know, when it comes to what are your top priorities? This is another one. You know, sometimes, you know, it's easy to ask this question as you get into trying to align yourself to the priorities that are there. But this is also one that shows that you're not honed in on the actual needs that are, you know, in front of you. And so, you know, questions to ask in the place of this, you know, based on your roadmap, I want to chat with you about how we can help you leapfrog the next six months of your development and accomplish your ERP requirements overnight. So, you know, those are things that start to pique my curiosity and my interest area because you, you know, know what my needs are, you know what I'm looking at, and you've got a unique way or a unique vantage point that can help me do it quicker, that can help me do it faster, that can help me do it cheaper. You know, those are things that are important. Validating priorities is also something you can ask clarifying questions on. You know, we have to balance a whole series of, of priorities as government decision makers, you know, specific to a CIO. You've got a lot of projects that you've got to manage. And so, you know, latching on to those and ensuring that you're coming alongside those priorities is really important going in. And then asking validating questions as you get into that is, uh, is another way to kind of take it to the next level. You know, another question that kind of goes alongside the priorities is the, the challenges question. So, you know, tell me about your biggest challenge. You know, that's, that's another one where it, you know, the challenge that everyone will give is funding, time, you know, staff, capacity. There's a lot of different things that you'll rattle off there. It's not really even helpful for you as a private sector company to have that information. So look for opportunities to kind of flip that around. And I think in terms of the challenge side of things, talk to them about what other agencies are doing to solve some of the the challenges that you've identified based on, you know, their roadmap or, you know, the problems that are there, 
um, and, and do it in a way where you're coming to the table with, you know, actionable solutions for them and actionable content. And so, you know, when you think about the marketing side of this whole process, you know, use this as an avenue to educate people on how other agencies have solved challenges with your technology or with your services, not the, the reverse side of that going into it saying, what are your challenges? And, you know, let me tell you how we can solve those. That doesn't work. And that, you know, just is a frustrating experience for the CIO or the decision maker that you're having that meeting with. So find ways to come to the table with well thought out, you know, actionable knowledge that can be based on, you know, other agencies that you've worked with in the past and, you know, latch on to challenges that you've seen based on the research that you've done. And as you start to build the relationship, you'll get into a position where these decision makers will start to come to you with challenges that they need your guidance and expertise on as you start to gain that trust, um, as we talked about kind of in that first uh, webinar as part of this series. And then the last question uh, with what not to ask is, you know, who is your current provider for X? This is another common one. This is one that I got emailed all the time. You know, how are you handling your, uh, you know, document management system? What are you using? This is one where, you know, it's, it's very evident. You can go and do, you know, some research to see uh, outlays that had been spent on technology and systems and processes. But identifying this in advance is really important. Don't ask a current provider. You know, sometimes, especially when it comes to cybersecurity, uh, that, is, that information is not always transparently put out for security purposes. So there might have to be clarifying questions that go into the type of environments that are put in place here. But for the most part, you know, look for opportunities to uncover this as part of that initial gathering uh, exercise. And a lot of that data is transparent uh, as, you know, bids and, and any type of formal procurement opportunities are, are pretty much all transparently listed uh, online, depending on the type of agency that you're going after. So find ways to come to the table with this set of knowledge and, and use that to also understand, you know, the, the way that they are constructing and architecting their environment and, you know, how they've approached some of these, uh, you know, infrastructure pieces or services pieces in the past. So, you know, it's just a part of, you know, laying the groundwork, doing those foundational research exercises, building on it with the internal variables, and then, you know, of course, gathering the external variables as well. Dustin, that's, that's helpful. It sounds like it's coming from someone who may have been asked these questions one, one too many times, but I think thoughtful uh, approaches to um, you know, work your way around them. And I, and I think you're right. Some of these areas, uh, maybe they're, they're new to the, to the position, so their priorities aren't, aren't clearly articulated or articulated yet. But you can still come to them. Let's say you're talking to a CIO. Look at like the top 10 digital city CIO priorities or the digital states or, or the National Association of State Chief Information Officers and, and their priorities and bring them relevant information that exists to say, hey, here's what the rest of the market is thinking about this. So as you formulate your plan, here's potential things to think about in terms of prioritization. Inform them about maybe if you've got past history in that jurisdiction about what went right, what went wrong and, and how you think it could be better for, for them. So I think there's several different ways that you can look at digging deeper into getting at the same result, but by asking more thoughtful questions. One way that we want in terms of another poll question that we think we, we may be able to help you kind of stay one step ahead, uh, ask more relevant questions by having more access to informed content is through our monthly market insights newsletters. 
So we've got a, a GovTech Market Insights newsletter that focuses on our government technology market that kind of helps you understand where the funding's coming from, new funding streams, who's coming and going. On the, on the governing market insights side, we've got updates on public policy and the, the big picture issues that are happening in the state and local marketplace. And then and finally on education, Keisha authors a, a monthly uh, newsletter that gives you updates on what's happening, education policy and ed tech. So all three of these, are, you know, from, from my opinion are great, but if you're looking at keeping up to speed um, on these markets, if you want to just take a second to tell us which one of them you'd like to receive, if, if any, um, and we'd greatly appreciate the opportunity to help you navigate this market a little smoother and quicker, faster. So with that said, what we're going to do now, Keisha, can you share with the audience uh, a best practice? I sure can. And we've talked about a lot of them. So I'm just going to recap a couple. Uh, first, be a resource. Everyone is so busy. If you can take them some pearl of information or data that would be helpful in their efforts or connect the dots in ways that they may not have connected them related to an initiative, then that's a bonus for them. And it's, it, gets you, uh, it helps you develop a relationship with them that you might not otherwise would have been able to develop. And the next pearl is to validate information. So this is especially true for like names of contacts and initiatives. Uh, make sure you have the most accurate information before you initiate any conversations. Uh, triangulate your data to ensure you have the highest level of accuracy. So look at multiple sources. Look at the website, the district's website or the university's website, and then the state website or the city's website to see if all of them have the exact same person's name, for example, um, or list of an initiative. Just make sure you absolutely have the most accurate and current data at the time of your meeting. Perfect. Speaking of getting access to the most relevant uh, content before your meeting, here at eRepublic, we have, we have several avenues uh, to enable you to do that. Obviously, first with our market research, you know, that whole knowing before you go. Uh, much of the, the content that we talked about today um, you know, lines, to, lines to that. We also have avenues to help you build content that speaks to these unique challenges in the right language to ensure that you're relevant. Dustin mentioned earlier our ability to, to, to bring uh, events and connect the industry audience with the public sector audience, allowing you an avenue to tell your story, to build your brand. And obviously, at the end of the day, the reason why we're all here is um, helping build uh, leads and, and sales and, and push the market forward. So if you are at all interested in anything that we've talked about here from, from our offerings in your public, whether it be market research, custom content, the brand building and advertising, or the ability to, to connect with public sector officials and decision makers across government or education, um, or lead generation and conversion, take a moment to uh, answer this poll question. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive right into uh, Q&A from our audience. Many of you have already taken time to submit questions to us. We greatly appreciate that, and we're going to jump into those right now. So let's take a look at some of the questions that came in, uh, Keisha and Dustin. So just give me a moment here. Uh, so here's the one that just came in right now. Uh, for companies just breaking into the GovTech market, would you recommend targeting the sled market before the federal market? And please explain why. Uh, so uh, a little self-serving. We, we focus exclusively on the, on the sled market. Um, for, from my point of view, uh, from sled IT and GovTech, it's a $100 billion market. Um, it's larger than the federal government market. 
there's tremendous opportunity right now. In fact, I've personally been covering this market for 11 years and I'm, no, I'm super excited about where the direction of this market's going and how fast they are adopting uh, technology. So Dustin, what do you got to add there? I love this question, yes. I would go sled before Fed. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a pretty good rhyme, but you know, the sled market, as Joe said, is, is just accelerating. There's more spend, there's more activity, and also innovation is happening from the bottom and working its way up. Now, the feds are doing great stuff, but it takes longer to procure. It's really more relationship-driven. You have to work with a partner there that has pre-existing relationships that, you know, have, they've spent a lot of time nurturing. State and local government, you know, you meet you meet basically government where people are as well. And so it's, you know, the closest aspect of the public sector to people. So you have the ability to really do some powerful things. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier to accelerate and to bring new ideas into market and to kind of do a bottoms up effort. But we've seen very encouraging things at the state and local level uh, in education. There's a, there's a ton of things that are happening in this market. So I would absolutely look at targeting the sled market and, and really building you know, a focused go-to-market approach, you know, maybe doing some federal level business, but you have to, you know, kind of pick and choose your battles and you can't be everything to everybody. So when you enter the market, the only thing I'd encourage you is to find, you know, a, a sub-vertical of the sled market that you can excel at, be incredibly proficient at that, and then use that to start to build new business and, and new market verticals or to go up to, uh, to the federal level. Okay, Keisha, why should someone focus on education? Well, I mean, it can change the world, but uh, in education, especially on, uh, on higher education and K-12 education, uh, for K-12, just two weeks ago, the budget was increased. It's the, greatest, the largest increase we've ever had in the education budget. So there's money there, and there's a lot of money. And in the higher ed market, there's mandates. So there's a heavy connection. We're redoing the Higher Ed Act. There's a heavy connection between college and career and students who are attending community and four-year colleges. So there's a lot of drive at the higher ed level to make sure their campuses are innovative and have the most current technologies and the most current solutions so that they can offer students the best experience. So it's, it's a happening market for sure today. Great. We got, a, we got a question that just came in here, and it actually aligns to something that we were talking about in our pre-call. Email is used frequently as a method to execute SLED campaigns. The effectiveness of email is mixed. Any recommendations on how to improve the effectiveness of SLED campaign initiatives? So we agree. Uh, generic emails don't work. In fact, very in, uh, infrequently, is it your target individual reading the actual email? Because it gets caught by an admin. So uh, outside maybe of email, um, Dustin, I'll let you kick this off. What recommendations would you have in terms of uh, an avenue that would work? Yeah, to echo your you know, thoughts on email, I mean, the simple litmus test to send an email that you would open. Uh, and so, you know, most of the emails that are constructed are, you know, very heavy on graphics and imagery, and they may look stellar if all of the image is loaded, but they're not going to get picked up or they get flagged and, you know, put into a clutter folder. So send an email that is authentic, that is personal. And I think, you know, when it comes to any type of, you know, outbound uh, inquiries to these agencies, you know, find ways to provide something valuable to them up front as well. Um, you know, that's where not asking, you know, high level questions or not just, you know, a blanket like, hey, I'd love to meet with you. I'm going to be in town. I'm just, yeah, I just so happen to be in your neck of the woods, you know, next Thursday at three. Can you meet with me? You know, don't don't do those. <laughs> Find ways to make every interaction that you have with them purposeful, bring a unique point of view to the table, be, you know, short and to the point. 
and uh, and just find ways to uh, you know to build on that relationship. Perfect. So here, here's a question that I, I'm drawn to: uh, What are some golden nuggets located in a city county website, education website that the audience may be missing or maybe not aware of? So I'll start this off. I don't think enough time spend people spend enough time going through meeting and agenda minutes, proposed plans, capital improvement plans. These are beasts of documents, but I promise you they uncover a wealth of opportunity. Uh, that, that could be an opportunity where that you have a council member talking about how maybe they should go paperless. So if I'm sitting there and I'm a document management company, well, guess what I'm going to go do? I've got now the individual that said it, that's on that campaign. I'm going to go figure out how to support them. Uh, I'm going to look for opportunities in some of those, you know, those documents that aren't well um, understood by most that are deeper around and how you spend a little bit more time clicking through. And, and frankly, most people um, give up before they ever get there. Uh, but Dustin, Keisha, what are some other golden nuggets that people should be thinking with? Yeah, I think to echo you, you know, the council packets behind the meetings and agendas, if they're online, contain a wealth of information and supporting documentation on, you know, specific line items that have, that have been there. So I think pouring through those are really important. You know, on the strategic plan side, there's a lot of strategic plans, roadmaps, you know, they can vary by department. You can have an overarching one for a particular jurisdiction or city. Those are really helpful. And, you know, there was a question on here around what if staff doesn't actually all agree with the priorities outlined in these plans. That's where you can come to the table and help them operationalize that. You can kind of help bridge the divide that may exist between some of these conflicting priorities. So find ways to take that and help agencies operationalize it. When I got into government, you know, I had probably 10 three ring binders on a shelf that cost our city $50,000 a piece. It was the most expensive shelf of books that I've ever owned. And the problem that we had in our city is that we couldn't operationalize it because the strategic plans that have been written were too generic. They were too broad. And although they were best case scenarios, I had trouble understanding what I could use to actually accomplish that. So if you can take that and turn it into something that's executable, then you have a really valuable proposition to come to me with. Keisha, what are some golden nuggets on? All of that is exactly the same in education. The only thing I would add to it is education is a very compliance-driven market. And so any board rules that have been, state board rules that have been passed that are going to drive something, you know, Texas had an, uh, a ruling or a law that was passed that put uh, cameras in every classroom so check for the kind of legal things that are taking place that are compliance driven. That's going to, that's going to be a tremendous nugget for you. Okay, perfect. So I guess both of you coming from your previous roles, when you've had a client that's selling uh, a suite of solutions that could be leveraged by number of entities across an organization, how would you uh, like that to be communicated? Is it, you know, you want to see customer, you know, referrals, you want to see a, a brief on the solution, you want to see collateral, what's going to be the thing that would, would get your attention and be the, the most value? I mean, if it's a suite of solutions, you know, I think the key is understanding that they all connect on the back end. So if it's truly an enterprise solution and not just kind of piece together individual applications with their own data silos, I want to know that at the end of the day, on the back end, everything connects and everything touches. 
and um, you know that that I've got the ability to deal with identity and other things on top of that. I mean, you know, I think when we look at CIOs today taking the enterprise approach with a lot of these systems, the back end side of things is, you know, really what they're focused on. Is this going to be something that works with what I've got today with the infrastructure or the other applications that are in place? I think another thing that I'd add is ensuring that you provide enough information to each contact that you're you know, reaching out to. Like if I'm a CIO, don't just show me what you think me as a CIO, I need to know, but help equip me with knowledge that I can use to go validate this and vet this you know, with my business analyst. Maybe I'm gonna take it to a line of business manager. Give me enough info so that I actually understand the true capabilities of your solution. And it can't just be you know, a, a traditional white paper. I wanna know, I wanna you know, have actionable content that I can actually understand what you do. Perfect, there's, there's some really great questions coming in. I'm going to try to lump a couple of these together. Um, as you speak about digital marketing journeys, can you speak to the types of titles in government education that actually go to the web to research uh, prior, vendor priorities when they're investigating in solutions? So, and then there was another one that said, uh, what subject lines, uh, what are the best subject lines to grab a decision maker's attention? So I'm going to start there and then back my way into the decision maker one. I think that the point about the, the, the subject matter, subject lines, um, is the whole heart of this webinar. It, it's, not about a subject, it's not about a subject line, it's, it's about actually taking the time to know the priorities. So if you have a, if you have a K through 12 superintendent or, or CIO that you know is heavily focused on personalized learning, how do you help execute against that top priority? Or in, you know, in cybersecurity, it, it's not about creating a, a subject line that's gonna work, uh, 500 times to catch attention. It's really about how do you deliver value to the individual that you're trying to sell to today. Um, but Dustin, Keisha, um, around the uh, digital marketing and the titles, I know I see a lot of the research being done by lower level titles and not the CIO. Um, so how often did you assign research out to others and who were those individuals? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and that is something that, you know, happens a lot. Uh, you know, CIOs can't be on every webinar and they can't respond to every inquiry that comes in or email, but that, you know, I would designate uh, clerks, business analysts, individuals that were, you know, part of my IT team that dealt with business processes or process reengineering is a common thing. Um, oftentimes, you know, even some of the line of, uh, you know, business uh, directors may be interested in that, but their support staff, the people that actually have to use the technology, sometimes they're always proactively looking for better ways to do it. And so I've seen very uh, successful campaigns that have targeted practitioners, people that use the actual software services uh, to raise awareness that there's a better way of doing things and then they'll you know, start that process from there. So th there's a variety of you know, positions that are involved, but I definitely think that's a great point to target you know, the multiple points of interaction that some of the support staff will have in this process. And on the Asia? education side, Joe, you, um, you know, in my district, when I was uh, essentially CTO, I had a staff member and that was her only job was to look at uh, vendor websites and see kind of who we could procure from. And if we, if there was nobody on that list and what the options were and give me a ranking every Monday of different companies that would solve some of our challenges. Um, I think the other thing uh, Dustin mentioned kind of trying to market to low level in order to influence, uh, but in, in education, faculty don't make procurement decisions. They can influence it a little, but uh, it's mostly going to be a principal or central office curriculum folks, IT folks, and then ultimately that cabinet level position. 
So a lot of people that I know in industry will market to teachers, but that really um, that really is, uh, you know, it's a challenge because they don't have any procurement uh, ability, and they they have an influence, but it's not as much as a principal's influence, if that's helpful. We've got a couple of questions here that we remain unanswered, so I'm going to try to group them together. One question was around purchasing thresholds, um, and can purchases be made on a credit card? Yes, depending on the dollar amount, depending by the jurisdiction. Um, question around, uh, is it a, uh, SaaS products and uh, pricing um, and subscriptions? Uh, do we have any uh, take on purchasing subscriptions software as a service? Uh, again, if depending on what your product is, you can look at those purchasing thresholds. And if you're looking to bypass the RFP process, maybe you look at what that lowest minimum dollar threshold is and look at how you price that there. As a CIO, um, have you found emails with strategic and meaningful narrative more effective than phone calls with similar content? And do either of you have a preference? Yeah, I, I would definitely opt for email over a, uh, a phone call. I very rarely would actually take a call from a vendor that was unsolicited. So normally my staff would do that. So I would find ways to you know, kind of break the threshold with providing meaningful content via email. But also one other recommendation here is to get in the queue of where CIOs are consuming information today. So, you know, I may not see your email because I have 300 other emails that came through at the same time and it just got buried, but, you know, I might read, you know, GovTech or I might have a newsletter that I subscribe to. So find ways to also inject your point of view in some of these mediums where I am more likely to see it because it's how I consume content today. Keisha, your preference? You agree, email, phone? I don't read emails. I didn't read emails. My staff read them, and if they were important enough, they may bring them to me, but most of the times I rarely saw them. So uh, what I did is what, what Dustin referred to, is I had my go-to sources, uh, Converge was one of them, and I went to those sources, and I found the information I was looking for because I could depend on those sources. And they were very uh, you know, efficient for me. That was very efficient for me. So that was my preferred way to do it. As we are over time, but if you guys are willing to hang on with us, we will knock out these last couple questions. Uh, make sure that those of you that attended um, get your questions answered. Uh, what advice do you have for a startup um, that has a few highly engaged early adopters and how can they leverage their expertise as early adopters in the pursuit of new customers? Case studies. Get them to do, agree to do case studies. Dustin said earlier, it is a relationship-driven business, and I can tell you from, from the research that we do all here, people want to see where you've already done it. So if you can get them to opt in to do a case study, put their logo on your site, tell the story, that's um, what people are looking for. All right, well, we're going to wrap it up here. In closing, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us on today's event. Thanks again for your time. We look forward to seeing you on the next 10 Laws webinar. Keep an eye out for that. Look down in the webinar resources to get access to the free resources from Keisha and Dustin on the additional slides and access to the 10 Laws book. Have a wonderful day.